Welcome to Amazon Legends, where we have real stories about making it big on Amazon. Our guests are CEOs of large companies and entrepreneurs who became power sellers, also providers specializing in helping sellers, aggregators that acquire sellers, and former Amazonians will give us an insight from behind the scenes. Here is your host, Nick Urison. Welcome to another episode of Amazon Legends. My next guest today, actually guests, uh, I have both partners of Channel.net, and uh, I've had the pleasure of having them before. We dug into a fairly deep subject, and, and we wanted to do a follow-up because it's such an important subject that we want to cover with them, which they specialize in. So um, they are the co-founders of Channeled, which is an e-commerce agency for private label sellers. And uh, both of them, when they are not working, they like mountain biking and running the kids around. So with that, everybody, meet my guests, Andrew Hurley and Matt Helming. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Nick. Well, nice to see you guys again. Last time we dug into why brands should focus on the big picture, not just Amazon. And today we are going to talk about something very important, uh, which is transitioning from selling to Amazon, which is called 1P, or selling on Vendor Central, to selling on Amazon, direct to Amazon customers, uh, which is called 3P or Seller Central. So with that, uh, let's jump right in. And we're going to cover all the moving parts in this in terms of what are the challenges, what people should be prepared for. So uh, so let's give it our best shot. So who wants to start? Um, I'll, I'll jump in, Nick. We can talk quickly about some of the reasons that you know drive brands to examine this decision, that the transition from 1P to 3P, we don't need to spend a ton of time on this, but you know, this has been uh, an increasingly occurring conversation for us as a business. We're running into more and more businesses that are needing to think about this decision. Um, and you know, the causes are everything from uh, Amazon is showing up and actively culling their 1P program, right? So they're telling brands, you're not doing enough sales here, so we're not interested. Um, we don't wanna continue to take your order. So brands are being forced to, to transition to 3P. <laughs> We have Amazon showing up and saying they don't want to accept cost increases that brands are being forced to take in you know a fairly competitive environment today, right? Like we don't need to go into um, too much depth on the macroeconomic headwinds that that most businesses are facing in terms of increasing costs. Um, it, it may be as simple as you know not hitting your goals, right? In one P, you're not seeing the business grow. Um, you want to you want to do better. You have you're seeing your business grow in other channels. It's not doing it commensurately in Amazon. So you need to figure out like what can I do to have more control. Um, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, competition or secondary impacts also, we're seeing very interesting dynamics at play where we're talking to businesses that might be very competitive with their peers in other channels, but they're not seeing that same level of dynamic on Amazon, right? And it's often a result of, you know, secondary impacts, for example, their multi-channel brand awareness play, right? They might not be advertising in another channel. They might not be engaging socially. Uh, and th those are reasons, for example, that can cause things to happen that are out of a brand's control. For example, they may just start buying more deeply into a competitor because the competitor is doing better at these other things, right? And so through no fault of the brand's own, they end up losing market share to another brand just because they're not doing those, those things that you know could drive more success. Well, and, and one other one other thing to add, I think what we've seen more and more of is you think about the sheer number of brands that Amazon is man managing in the vendor program, and you know they're assigning a large number of brands under management to a, to a vendor rep who may only understand one small piece of of what it takes to be successful, and you know, and if they've got you know an, another a different brand under management uh, in the vendor program that is doing better, they're going to give that that your brand less attention, right? And so that really, that really becomes an important part of that decision making, right? Is if you if you have more control over what you're doing, then Amazon is not doing you any favors, then then there's a it's time to start looking hard at other ways of selling on Amazon. And that yeah. and that is, you know, very much underscored. Like for example, when we look at brand peer sets, Nick, where say you might actually be relatively close in price point to a brand 
peer, but your and your value proposition may be as good or stronger than theirs. But the vendor manager is not going to upset the train, which is sales that they've already established with that other brand, unless they have a real compelling reason to do so, right? And so a lot of times a brand can sidestep that. They can gain market share by demonstrating those points and take it out of the hands of the vendor manager. Yeah. So guys, I've heard both of you say the same word directly and also the underlying theme in why brands should do this is control. So control over pricing, control over your promotion, control over the amount of business you can conduct with Amazon, ultimately take it away from that vendor central reps initiative to into your own hands and then drive more and more exposure. So uh, that's to me, control is always the same, right? So whether it's business or politics or, or anything, any, we, we all want to control. So yeah. uh, this is a good enough reason, I think. And frankly, yes, Amazon is uh, selling some of the products, but uh, there is also the action by the government about this third-party sellers, how third-party sellers are being treated versus Amazon doing. So Amazon is under a lot of scrutiny when they have direct sales. So I think that, to me, I advocate all the time. If you are on Vendor Central, drop it. It's not going to last too long unless you're doing millions and millions and millions of dollars where you can do whatever you want. So uh, it, this, to me, is a no-brainer. So um, let's now jump in. So let's say that I'm a, treat me as, a, as they say, as a three-year-old uh, Amazon 1P seller. So I'm rec uh, receiving POs from Amazon, and I decided, I listened to this episode, came across you, you told me, and I said, okay, fine. What are the, the things? Walk me through step-by-step. What happens once I make that decision? Yeah, and, and I think, Nick, one of the important things that we, we always start with is it doesn't necessarily need to be an all or none, right? There are cases where Amazon may be doing a better job on certain SKUs, and you shouldn't necessarily just immediately transition those, right? You can live in a world where you're doing a mix of vendor, so 1P and 3P, in cases where we'd strongly advocate that that transition start happening is where SKUs are either Amazon self issuing purchase orders for those SKUs, uh, they're not taking a price increase or they're not giving it the right attention, right? It's not doing as well as it could, or they may be new items where you can start in 3P because you don't want to give up your meal ticket, right? Because that transition can take a little bit of time. Um, and so what we do is we do an evaluation. We help brands understand what it actually means to transition away from 1P to 3P and not upset their vendor manager and not upset that Amazon relationship. Understand what uh, financial look like, right? What do we think forecast is? What are the fees that are associated with selling as a 3P seller, right? Because now you got to consider uh, the all the all the referral fees and you got to consider FBA fees to to move into that. And so we build out a model, a PL that is bottom up with every SKU in a catalog. And then we make that decision to transition. We get accounts set up and then we, and then we start taking over ownership over those UPCs, right? So what we want to do is really important is sit on any existing ASINs that are, that are there, right? And we don't want to create new ASINs. Uh, so we use the same UPCs, we take over ownership, and then we start getting inventory in and, and transitioning away from, from that 1P relationship. Yeah, you know, this reminded me of something. So uh, when I started Argometrics, um, I went to, as you put, 1P sellers, and, and I tried to convince them. And in the process, I had to make the case, financial case, of why this makes sense. And, and I created this because I, I love numbers and I, I love creating templates. So I created this template that would simply plug in. Uh, you would plug in the, the rank and the, the price point and, and everything else. 
And also these were brands that had resellers. So they were not in the buy box 100% of the time. Either. Right. So, uh, I mean, even though because Amazon always dominates the buy box, but nevertheless, inventory situations, blah, blah, it's not 100%. You cannot say it's always. So bottom line, it proved to be after all the FBA fees and everything, the commissions, the fees, and, and the storage, and, and you name it, they the numbers came out ahead about 60% net. Yeah. yeah. Would you agree with those numbers? Yes, it's typically it's typically quite a better picture for brands. Um, there's a little bit of a spectrum, right? Brands who have experienced selling direct in other channels get it real fast, right, Nick? They're like, I understand what selling at a retail price does for my margins in other places. So on Amazon, it can happen fast. Other brands that we talk to that are a little bit more legacy or have grown up in a more traditional wholesale world have a little bit more trouble getting a handle on this because... They don't really sell at retail anywhere else that, you know, they right. make wholesale sale and then they're just like, okay, it's done. So they don't really understand the impact of margin. And, and that's, that's a fair point that like, when we do this, we're helping a brand think operationally about this, right? Cause there's a bunch of components there, right? Which is like, how do you enforce map pricing? Like, do you police that in other channels? Do you have reseller agreements, right? Th that could bleed into, do you have resellers on your listings already? Right. Cause you might be selling to, to Amazon on a 1P basis, but many of the times when we're talking to brands that are transitioning, because they've been selling in a wholesale format, they've often sold to many distributors and they might sell to big box retailers, but then also like small mom and pop regional retailers. And those are often the worst. The, the mom and pop retailers show up on Amazon because there's a lot of them and you got to play whack-a-mole, right? right. <laughs> that's, that's when we have to come in and we have to, you know, we either reach out to those to those resellers directly and say, "Look, guys, you know, you agree to a map policy that you're not you're not adhering to, right? So we're going to stop selling to you, or you know, we need to bring down you know Amazon on their head in the form of an infringement claim, right? Or you know, an unauthorized seller. In which case, you know, we say, okay, look, that could shut your whole store down, right? And that's a sensitive discussion to have for brands because for some brands, those might be for example, uh, you know, representative of meaningful sales and other channels, right? Like you could have a, a retail distributor that is that is buying a fair amount of product and you don't want to blow up that relationship over a couple of dollars of sales on Amazon, right? And But the mix being that the brand needs to have control over that. So, so that's something to walk through. And then, you know, as follows on map pricing, then there's promotion, right? So like, when are you running sales? Where are you running sales on what sales channels, right? So we're helping brands to think about you know, what are the impacts of a, you know, promotional calendar? And usually we start simple, right? Practical on those things. For example, like when are you going to run afoul of Amazon? Because you just slip, you ran a promotion somewhere else that Amazon didn't get access to, you get a high price and you're, it shuts down your listing, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's a practical consideration. Then there's, you know, optimization considerations, which is like, am I, for example, running parity promotions, driven by Amazon holidays, like Prime Day or 10 pole events, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, that, you know, my shoppers may be finding me on Amazon, but then expecting those discounts to be occurring in other places as well, right? And my retailers may come to me and say, hey, if you're going to do this on Amazon on a Prime Day or Black Friday, Cyber Monday, I should get a right to do the same thing in my other channels. And again, these are these are not right or wrong answers. These are discussions we have with every brand, you know, promo strategies are, are specific to each brand, you know, sometimes a it happens as it doesn't. Um, yeah. uh, that's an example of, you know, one of those follow-ons. Well, you, you've covered so many, several things. Let's dive into those individually because I want to understand, I want the listeners to understand these individual pieces and how to deal with them. So one thing, Andrew, you said is actually is a relief for anybody listening and looking to do this is, Look, you don't have to jump into this ocean of going from vendor central to seller central. Uh, you can do it, you know, slowly. You can do it selectively. So that's a big deal because you can, in fact, so applying that idea, you can say, okay, you know what? This is what I'm selling to Amazon yep. right now on these items, but I'm going to launch new items on seller central. Mm -hmm. And then let's build them up. Let's learn the whole process, and then we can start to bring in one by one. So uh, that's a, that's a big deal, uh, really, for me to 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 hear from you. 
because this is not like suddenly you're going to get so many things that you have to do. The second thing that I heard from you uh, was you need to now start thinking about since you're going to be competing directly with your customers, whatever you are offering in terms of promotion on Amazon, you need to inform them and also give them the opportunity to do the same. So now you have to think a little bit more about the big picture from end-user pricing standpoint and end-user benefits standpoint, not just focus on your own uh, wholesale price, so to speak, and then let the retailers do whatever they do, right? You need to think about it as a whole. Isn't that the case? Yeah, that's right. And yes, that's true. And and so one of the things just with just with respect to the first point you're asking about this transition between selling to Amazon on 1P versus a 3P, you know, often what we what we prioritize are SKUs where we'll where we'll bring in external data from the brand and we'll say, you know, there are a handful of SKUs, for example, that are best sellers in other channels, right? Either a direct channel or a, or a, another, you know, distributor retailer. That, that may be so underrepresented in terms of the amount of revenue they're generating on Amazon, those are really good opportunities for us to focus on, right? Because there may be a winner on Amazon that's different than, than another channel. We focus on those and say, figure out, okay, this is one to transition. It's clearly been neglected. There's an opportunity to, to start focusing on that and grow it, right? We build the model out and make sure all the, all the margin numbers look good, right? You're selling. One of the reasons is you're going to sell it full MSRP, Right, you're respecting your own map pricing, and and hopefully, you know, you're calling out those distributors. Either they're authorized, and then you tell them, inform them, you can no longer resell. We're we're taking a direct approach, or or there's some map policy, right, where they have to sell over a specific price, and they're only allowed to sell certain SKUs. And so, that's a transition decision that we start making with the brands over time, right? So they're not they're not killing off an important source of revenue while growing additional SKUs, and you know. Creating, creating some more wins. Um, and, you know, that teases that teases out a fairly important question with a lot of these brands, Nick, which, which is sort of strategic in reach, which is why do I have a resale relationship or a wholesale relationship, right? The, in, in, when we think about Amazon, the, the question that we pose to brands, right, is why should you allow someone else to make a sale that you can make, right? And there's, there, are, there may be a lot of reasons that you can't answer that question, right? Like, we don't have the experience. We don't have the capability. We haven't managed a direct business. You know, we don't want to manage it. It's too too complex because we have too many sales channels. And we're, and we're onesies, twosies, right? Nobody wants to do onesies, twosies. Right. And you go, so if by backing away and saying, okay, do we want to continue to allow this to happen? The, the things that Andy's talking about, we either make those, we make those managed situations that exist for time or it's a transitional period during which we're knocking out resellers on the channel because they actually cause more trouble than good right yeah. it's, it's sort of a balancing act yeah well i mean listen this is this is so true uh, about the mindset at, at the end of the day you know i, I always say this with my team with my clients and anybody everything comes down to the mindset uh, in life we seem to put our own obstacles in front of us, all because of what's in our head. So the mindset is we do wholesale, we do production, and then it's our brand, and then we sell it in bulk. And this is our price. We have an MSRP, but at the end of the day, they sell it at a deep discount or not, we're getting the same amount because we are the wholesale. That mindset is very hard to change from selling in bulk to selling onesies, twosies, and at a price that is different than what you used to. Oh, 100%. So, yeah. So, however, there is now a catalyst that is called Amazon FBA. Forget about FBA. It's 3PL operation so you can still run the bulk based operation you just need to be organized to track your operation in terms of financial production you name it and then also have a little bit more uh, of a an outlook on what your overall strategy is with your pricing 
Yeah, otherwise, the moving parts of it, they get taken care of by other providers, right? So it's that's true. Yeah. And the only thing I would add to that is the, is the middle case scenario that we sort of haven't talked about here, which is, you know, the externalities forcing this to happen, which is brands are selling to Amazon on a 1P basis, and they're doing a poor job of policing their resellers who they may or may not have authorized to sell on Amazon. And they've set off a, a war between Amazon and their distributors, which has a couple of effects, right? Amazon will chase the distributors in price competition, right? Amazon reserves the right to outprice anybody selling on Amazon, right? And now all of a sudden you have a problem, which is Amazon is, is seeing problems on your products. So they want to buy less of it. And second, they're creating ripple effects through all your other channels because they're watching this price war go on on Amazon. And you as a brand aren't policing that. And so looking at that, you go, all right, I'm sort of forced to wade into this and figure this issue out because regardless of whether I want to sell direct or not, this dynamic is happening. Well, and, and yeah. what we've seen so many times too, which in these cases is there's such a disconnect between a brand may have embraced a really good D2C strategy, right? They have tremendous uh, creative and branding on their own site and in their other channels. And there's a huge disconnect between that and what we actually see on Amazon. And a lot of that is either because Amazon is managing vendor poorly with this relationship or they're relying on a distributor who's reselling on Amazon, who's responsible for hundreds or thousands of SKUs that has no real vested interest in creating and telling that product and brand story in a way that connects to the overall brand, right? In, 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 a, in a, a way that is aligned, right? And that's one of the big priorities that we see when we, when we start having these conversations is look at how much of a disconnect there is there. Yeah. Well, this brings us to the, the next point. Uh, which is content, right? Managing, producing, and managing the content. So I want to start with a technical question on the content. So if I'm a seller and I have my own brand, the first thing I do is I get my trademark done, at least the application, if not the whole trademark, and then I get it on brand registry. I create my brand registry account and put my trademark there. And then switch and create the seller central account. And that's the right route to go with, so that they yeah. become connected. Uh, right. If you do them independently, different people do different things, you know, setting up each one, it, it gets a little bit more complicated. But so uh, you do it that way. So now when you go to seller central and create your own listing, then you can simply go and Upload new images, change your title, content, A+, whatever. You can do all that. And the minute that you hit submit, it will say it will be approved in 24 hours, but it pretty much becomes visible fairly quickly. As simple as that. However, you are a vendor central user as a 1P uh, company selling to Amazon. Your listings are already created. And when you switch to Seller Central, tell us about the relationships now with the brand registry situation, the existing listings, who has control over those listings and what are the things to do with, the, with that situation? Yeah, so, so we, you know, the, what you outlined is generally the case, not always as, as straightforward, right? There are always cases where with Amazon's, kind of outdated backend things get stuck. Um, when making that transition from vendor to seller central to, to 3P, uh, you know, it is effectively a similar process, but but we do have to go through and ensure that, you know, we do want to sit on existing ASINs and we do make requests to Amazon for some specific teams to take over ownership, right? Which starts with having the seller account and the brand registry tied together and then going in and making a request to take over ownership of those listings, right? Sometimes that takes a little bit of time, but we always involve, you know, Amazon in that. It's often the case where that happens in a little more straightforward, simpler way because of the connection with the brand registry. But there are other cases where we have to fight with Amazon a little bit. And we always do end up getting control over that before you certainly don't want to create new listings. We want to take over those existing listings and lean into that existing momentum. 
but that is the process, right? Is to make sure that that seller account and the brand registry are tied together. And then you're going through and taking over ownership over those listings so that you can update the listings in, in, you know, all the ways that, you know, are, are necessary. There are some practical considerations for brand here that, that these questions sometimes fall through the cracks, Nick, which is, you know, we think about this in parallel track. We think about it sort of operationally and from a marketing standpoint, right? From an operational standpoint, there's nothing preventing you as a seller showing up, right? You can open your seller account, right? You can create a listing against an existing ASIN, right? So you can create a listing against your own branded ASIN, right? So you can be creating your FBA plans, replanning inventory, getting ready to send product in. So you can essentially be selling, right? So when we help brands to manage the transition and avoid interruption from 1P sales to 3P sales, so many brands are terrified, right? That like, you know, demand, it's gone, right? So it's going to evaporate and that there's going to be no sales. The ASIN is indestructible, lives in the Amazon catalog, ranking, reviews, advertising performance, all those things continue to exist absent Amazon being there as a 1P customer. And so if you are there with inventory ready to go, right, you can you can experience very little loss or interruption on those on those ASINs, continue to sell into them. And then what we're doing is all those things that Andy just laid out, which is on a parallel track. We're taking over that ASIN. We're thinking about an optimization plan. We're bringing that up to parity with a brand's, you know, DTC presence elsewhere. Um, all of those things that you need to do to take control of it. Yeah, I mean, this is this is another easy situation to deal with because you you the listing is there. I mean, as you as you put it, ASIN is indestructible, and ASIN is attached to the UPC. So uh, therefore, you're not going to create another ASIN with the same UPC. So it's the same one. So you can simply go search that ASIN in the product listing uh, search, it will come right up. And then you simply create your own listing. And then in the process, while all this is going on, and then you start your, your ship your inventory and sales, and you simply work on taking control of that listing to update the content. It's uh, another easy way to start. You know, there is another scenario that I've come across several times there are duplicate listings. So, uh, and, and Amazon loves hearing from sellers. And of course, brands are the ones that will get the most out of this. Is if you find those duplicate listings for the same product, then you can ask Amazon to merge them. And when they merge, then obviously, so if you have, uh, let's say you're selling uh, uh, New York Giants, t-shirt, uh, jersey, and you've got one listing here, another listing there, another listing there. Each one has five, 10 sellers. Once you merge those ASINs, they will all come under one. And then if you are the brand owner, then you'll obviously have domination over it, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. uh, this, this, it's, of course, it's hard to find those duplicate listings. That, that, was, that was always our trouble because yeah, because anybody can create a listing after all. And by the way, we've seen uh, resellers obtaining their own UPC codes and creating ASINs for the same item. So you really um, yeah. need to be on, on the hunt for it. Yeah, and, and I think, Nick, like from the very beginning of the marketplace model, right, Amazon introduced, you know, an ASIN, right, which then allowed people to put multiple offers against the same effectively the same item, you know, unlike eBay, it, it has been a little bit more, it's a cleaner marketplace in terms of not having so much of that issue. And I think what we've seen over time is there's definitely more and more movement toward requiring UPC codes to prevent those duplicate uh, listings. There, there is still cases where there are still cases where, you know, unauthorized resellers try to get around you know, that requirement by creating a duplicate listing. And then, you know, there is a process to merge those and, you know, monitor and merge and, and, and squash those. And, but, you know, fortunately, again, Amazon has been pretty good about, you know, kind of over time making that less of an issue. But certainly when that comes up, you know, find those, merge them or just, or frankly, generally the duplicate ASIN is not a, a great quality. And so often it's better to just kill them off and report that to Amazon as a duplicate. Um, so, you know, those are case by cases, but uh, yeah, I mean, certainly it, it's a good thing. It's not 
a bigger problem and that's been better over time than it used to be. Yeah. And, and like a lot of times, a lot of times for us, Nick, that, that issue will get sort of teased out in this product analysis, right? Which is when we're looking at the channel, right? And we'll say, okay, let's understand what you did on a vendor basis, right? What products did you sell? Sales mix, how many units, right? Because you don't always as a brand necessarily, we don't always advocate for, let's just do exactly what you did, right? For example, we might say the long tail sales, not worth it, right? Like let's focus on the 80-20, what's driving most of the revenue, right? Then a big issue that always comes up is, well, what's, what are returns going to be like if I go from 1P to 3P, right? right? Many brands may have return issues. And this issue that you just touched on, duplicate ASINs, wrong products sold against right UPC might mm -hmm. actually be, for example, the driver of a lot of these return issues, right? You might have products coming back from sellers that were just the wrong product that the consumer, you know, got, they did not get what they thought they were ordering. This is one of those drivers, right? And so we'll look at that and we'll say, okay, these are some of the things we need to consider during this transition. If, you know, if, if that is going to be an issue or if it was an issue previously, what are we doing to mitigate it going forward, right? Is it a product information problem, product organization problem, duplicate listing problem? I have something important for all my listeners. Sellers lose money on lost or damaged inventory with Amazon, which can add up to a lot over a year. Did you know that there is a way to claim all your losses? Getida is the global leader in Amazon FBA auditing and reimbursements for Amazon FBA sellers worldwide. They deliver results with no upfront costs. They get paid only when you get paid. Visit www.getida.com forward slash legends to learn more and sign up. And thanks to our friends at Getida, your first $400 in reimbursements will be free. That's www.getida.com forward slash legends. And that's www.getida.com forward slash legends. So I have a question with regards to decision-making. So I like the idea of mix and match. In other words, maintain the 1P operation selling to Amazon and then slowly transition to Seller Central, uh, taking away some of the items, not all of the items, but some of the items. What do you like to do? Because as a wholesaler, manufacturer, the mindset is quantity. But as a retailer, which is what you're becoming, the mindset is not necessarily quantity, uh, quantity sales. So when you do your analysis, because I heard you at the beginning that you review the, the, if you like, the unit economics in terms of what is it that you are, the company is receiving now and what is it that it's going to receive after all the fees. So when you do that analysis, do you prefer to bring into the 3P operation to sell directly the items that sell the most quantity or the items that will result in more net profitability? I mean, that's really a question that, you know, we ask in concert with the brand and it comes down to unit economics, right? You know, if on a wholesale basis, they had advantageous pricing with Amazon whereby they could make an acceptable margin on a wholesale basis, right? We're, we're advocates of whatever is a win for the brand, right? So this is why Andy was talking about, you know, sort of a partial transition, which is don't upset the Apple cart, don't, you know, blow up your meal ticket, which if, if Amazon wants to continue to buy on that basis, we can say, okay, we can, we can leave that there. If your skew economics are changing significantly because your costs are going up, Amazon won't accept those, right? Or that sales number is going down. And let's remember that even though we're selling on a 1P basis to Amazon, right? There's an in the middle ground here, which is that many brands are still responsible for running many of their own marketing efforts. Right. On top right. of that, right? So your storefront, your advertising, those costs may be changing over time, which might change you to think about skew economics. And then, you know, on the other side of the fence, in terms of 3P, you know, doing a margin analysis, you know, we really, the best way to answer this, this question is it has to be done on a product basis because so many products have different economics. They have a different advertising context and competition dynamic that 
you've got to get keep a very close pulse on those things. And look, sometimes 1P allows brands to get away from that a little bit because they're like, look, I made my sale, moving on to the next thing. I'll wait for the buyer to call me back. And they don't really know what's going on out there. The, you know, the, the 3P context forces brands to have a little bit better handle on, on unit economics. Well, it, and, and I think there's the other the other consideration that that is that we bring into that evaluation is looking at things like search volume, competition, right? What's happening? So we're looking internally at, at skew economics, right? And there are decisions that are made based on all the things we, that we've talked about. It may also be you know that there's some market factor, right? Competition, search volume where we feel like there's a bigger opportunity to take advantage of that if we transition that skew from, away from 1P. Um, and, and then there's always the logistics, right? There may be a product that is complicated for the brand to prep for 3P, and they would rather just continue to sell that into Amazon and let them worry about some of that you know, prep, like breaking down you know, master cases. And so those are all kind of important considerations, right? And every brand and every product is a little different. And so that's why there's an evaluation that isn't one size fits all, right? It really matters what some of these decisions are and, and lining up with the brand about, about kind of their capabilities and priorities and, and skew specific, uh, you know. And sometimes unit economics might not always be the driver of the bus, Nick, right? Like a lot of these brands will have strategic considerations, which are, for example, I mean, let's not forget, right? We're talking about the largest retailer of products in the world. And so brands that are that are getting to sizable sales cannot afford to not think defensively or strategically about their market niche, right? So they can't say, you know what, the unit, sometimes they might say, you know, the unit economics aren't great in a particular niche on Amazon. However, the ripple effects of losing significant market share to a competitor on Amazon will hurt them in other places. Yeah. So you might say, look, the unit economics here aren't particularly great, but we still need to keep, you know, our feet next to the fire, so to speak, because we got to defend awareness, brand awareness in other channels. Yeah. Well, there's one more thing, and that's the inventory that you'll be carrying as the retailer now, because you're yep. going to be a retailer. So if Amazon is giving you POs, at the end of the day, they'll write you a check uh, and uh, for whatever the quantity. And if you are carrying it yourself to replenish your sales, then there is nobody to build to. So right. there is, uh, and if it's a higher ticket item, then the value of the inventory you'll be holding will be greater. So yeah, there's so many factors. It's uh, it reminds me of this favorite saying uh, about strategy versus tactics. So right. strategy here. Uh, so it, have I have I ever told you that that phrase that I love this quote? I quote all the time: "Strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory, but tactics without strategy is noise before defeat." So. <laughs> <laughs> so this thing that you describe here, this, this yeah. little conversation is so strategic. You make the wrong decisions to switch the wrong item, then you're going to pay a long time. You make the right decision. Even if you execute badly, you'll still be okay in the long run because yeah, that was the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So... We got the, the account, we made the decision, we picked the right items and we, we switched the, successfully switched the listing to control, seller central is in place, brand registry in place. Okay, what else are we considering in this? What, what is on our plate? Well, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. In, in addition, you know, in addition, we're, you know, we're really looking at a couple of other important sort of strategic and tactical so, so for one thing, right, keep in mind that when Amazon is issuing a purchase order, you're, you're not bound by some inventory storage threshold like, like you're going to often be, or in almost all cases, you will be moving over to, to 3P, right? Amazon has fortunately gotten a little bit more flexible after that was a little bit tight in terms of what inventory storage looks like. And so we've seen brands who've come on board and Amazon can see from the brand and the UPCs that are in the account that they have significant potential and they have almost unlimited storage. In other cases, 
uh, you know, that's a little bit more limited. And so you got to build that up, right? And bid into the storage using the capacity manager, right? And and over some period of months, you're ramping up that storage and proving to Amazon that you're selling through, right? So that's an important consideration is that storage and inventory forecasting and along with the other pieces we just talked about in terms of the cost of holding inventory, right? You're not getting uh, paid on that inventory up front. Um, and, then, and then obviously the, you know, making sure that as we start selling during that process, we, we're really looking at creating a comprehensive brand plan, right? We're prioritizing the products that we really want to start with having a completely buttoned up brand experience, right? All the creatives are in line with the brand guidelines and in, in those PPs and the store are all built out, right? And, and over time, we're, we're completing that throughout the catalog, right? Because again, the goal here is not just to transition, but to improve the, the the way the brand and the product story is being told on the marketplace. And that's, again, something that when you're looking at the account comprehensively, as you would do on a three-piece selling basis, you have that opportunity to really think about how all these pieces are working together. You're not just, you know, thinking about one part in isolation like an Amazon vendor rep might be doing or is doing. Yeah, I mean, uh, so what uh, you, you mentioned two things here that I want to really lay it out because both very important. Um, first of all, storage, handling storage. So if Amazon gives you a PO, whatever number of pieces, you produce it and then you ship it, you're done. But if you produce the same amount of units, but you're not selling it directly, you're not shipping the whole thing anymore. You are only shipping what Amazon provides as your storage limit. And one thing that I want to add here for our listeners uh, to pay attention to is your IP, what Amazon calls IPI score, yep. uh, Inventory Performance Index. Sure. The lower that score gets, the higher your storage fees. So if you are holding too much inventory in comparison to your sell-through rate, that's going to hit your IPI score. In addition, things like mishandling, like you don't have a listing, you sent an inventory or something happened in the listing. So those suspended, they call them suspended listings. So those things. So, so now you need to be aware of what's going on with your inventory management in terms of storage handling at Amazon facility and uh, don't keep it there, bring it back. Now that presents another situation, uh, a manufacturing facility may not be set up to hold inventory, but just to produce. Now you're talking about getting a 3PL or potentially using Amazon warehouse service. Yeah. Yeah, so things like that. So uh, things to consider. So that's one thing you covered. Uh, the other thing you covered is, of course, content. So now you're really now you have the opportunity to get into the content, which you didn't have before as much, and then make immediate impact. So uh, lay it down for us, guys. What kind of content uh, they sh these vendors are becoming sellers should focus in on, and what are and and what would be their impact? Yeah, I think. Oh, go ahead, Matt. So we generally like to we generally like to step back, understand, you know, what a brand's overall sort of brand awareness and general content strategy is, right, Nick? And this and this can be varied, right? You know, some brands who are very wholesaler centric think about this very differently than brands that have a lot of direct right. selling experience, right? And so, in some cases, like the brands that are very experienced in the direct selling context. It's a it's a parlay or a trend, you know, a translation of what they're doing in other channels to an Amazon context, right? Versus having to craft a creative strategy for Amazon because maybe a brand doesn't have experience with that. I mean, we work on both ends of that spectrum. But what we're gonna say is look, from an Amazon standpoint, right? For the most important thing we can do first is making sure that our customers are aware of our products and all of the you know, features and benefits that drive conversion, right? And that they're presented consistently, right? So to boil that down, it's you know, looking at what categories that we're selling in, what are the features and benefits that are driving conversion? What are, what, what's driving 
conversion in other channels, right? Because we can learn from other channels, right? And those same things should be driving that that dynamic on Amazon. And look, sometimes Amazon as a one piece seller may have been doing an okay job in communicating some of, some of those. More often than not, honestly, it's not the case, right? Amazon is trading on the mm-hmm. fact that a consumer wants to transact on Amazon, but they're going to learn about it somewhere else, right? So it's our job to help the brand bring that experience to Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. So then we say, okay, look, a consistent strategy is, you know, the following points, right? So like, what are we doing on the PDP? How are we presenting the product? Like, is it photography, infographics, the A plus or EBC component of the the page? What's going on in the storefront? How is the storefront presented from a merchandising standpoint in terms of navigation, product information, landing pages, right? And then tying that back to things like advertising. And so when we're working with our brands, a lot of the time, the, the question may be that they may have, for example, a crack creative outfit, right? We can, we can drop into and say, okay, look, you've got great resources we can leverage. Let's just go through the process of getting that sort of tuned up for Amazon. Or we, we might have to bring in our own creative resources or work in concert with ours to say, you know what, there are some things we need to do specifically for Amazon, right? To think about specific photography or call outs like infographics or, you know, video assets for, you know, advertising right or the storefront or the pdp right and hopefully a lot of the brands that we're working with and if they don't have this we help them craft it they have a brand style guide right so we bolt onto that create a version from amazon right and it's not for amazon and it's not just about you know having the right number of images at the right specs but and and not just having infographics and videos but aligning those specific assets to how people transact right so asking questions with the brand when someone buys this product what is it they're asking about before they make that purchase decision and ensuring that we really prioritize and create consistency within the pdps to communicate all that information and on the back end too when we have a lot of conversations with brands where we're saying look you have a return rate that's unacceptably high on certain products and if you're accepting a 20% return rate, it's way too high. Why are products being returned and what do we do to mitigate that with not only copy on listings, but any of the other assets and post-purchase follow-up emails and that sort of thing that help people understand before they purchase, what are they getting? How does it work? How do they use it? And on the back end, if there are questions or, or information that are that is required about using the product, that that is clearly communicated. And, and, you know, and so we've seen that Again, brands don't always have to think that way on their D2C strategy because they have customer service teams that can directly interact with customers in, in, in meaningful ways. And there's some tools to do that now on Amazon as well with some third parties that are really actually very helpful. But before you get to that point, communicating those really important pieces is, is, is critical for brands and you know, helping them think through that. Again, it's they might be doing that to some degree in their other channels, but we're putting it in an Amazon context to make sure they understand how it comes to life in Amazon just works a little differently. Yeah. And sometimes part of this discussion about what they're doing, you know, in other channels or, or, or leveraging existing brand strategy, right. Further uncovers some of the opportunity, right. Which is a lot of times we talk to brands, Nick, that are saying, you know what, like, I'm doing quite well in other channels. I don't really understand what's going on on Amazon. And we can actually uncover this with specific data, right? You could say like your branded search is actually climbing month over month, but you are not leveraging it because your competition's camping on it, right? So you might actually be doing some pretty good things in other channels that are driving blowback on Amazon that you are not realizing because, for example, you might not be advertising properly, right? Like, you know, you might not be defensive enough against those things, but we'll look at that as a component of this to say, look, what you're doing in other channels is actually resonating here on Amazon, right? Because everybody who's shopping is going to come back to Amazon. And so we can say, look, that, that underscores the need to bring that here. Yeah, you have unmet, we call that, tell people very clearly, you have unmet demand here because of poor execution. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, the, what I'm hearing from you is, again, this is a mind shift because when you're doing wholesale, you've got a supply chain and you provide the features and the technical specifications of the product. And that's pretty much the extent of what it is that you're selling. Of course, there's some pictures and everything else. But the minute that you start selling on Amazon, now it becomes storytelling. You have to tell your brand story. 
you have to tell the the story to the consumer uh, in a way that the consumer can see themselves using that product to address a particular need or a pain uh, or, or anything like that. So uh, it's it, that comes in the form of infographics, it comes in the form of unboxing videos, uh, promotional videos, of course, not to mention the uh, A-plus content. So uh, there is a whole you know, way of things to do where it starts with storyboarding your image stack and then goes down to scripting your videos, right? So yeah. that has to be the approach. So guys, I've got a couple of minutes before I move on to you and we've got to touch a little bit and this is a rabbit hole. It can be a rabbit hole. It's the systems and management of the transactions because now it goes from cutting one invoice for against the PO and getting paid to a settlement report, uh, inventory management in multiple locations because it's still your inventory at FBA. Uh, just give us your quick uh, overview of how to go about handling those things. So, so the quick overview, you know, often we have to, this is part of the process. We have to, you know, coach brands through and sort of teach them how to manage, right? So, you know, to boil it down to its most essential, right? It's understanding. So we'll use inventory as the first component you touched on, right? So now brands have to go, sometimes they may have direct selling experience and their own fulfillment experience in other places, in which case bolting on Amazon as an FBA selling component, right? Another source of inventory might not be that difficult. They might already be used to for example, like, you know, virtual inventory locations, right? So whereby they're carrying inventory on their balance sheet, it's just sitting somewhere else and it's a transfer between two locations on their balance sheet handled within their ERP. Um, some brands might not have experience with that, right? And so we may have to get in and coach them on how to, you know, set up their ERP to do so, right? We have experience working with many of those. We don't need to go into each one of those, but teaching a brand how to say, okay, look, you're not going to get a PO for this. Right. So now now we sort of parlay to, to the transaction component of this. Right. Which is that with some brands will we'll work with how do you gather an understanding of, you know, the the transactional component of, you know, inventory selling on Amazon, meaning, you know, as you sell a product. Right. You've got to decrement that inventory by whatever amount of units you sold and then understand what what is the impact back to your channel PL, Right. So the sales and all the costs associated with the movement of that inventory. And so, again, that could be facilitated by an integration or a connection that marries Amazon transactions back into your ERP, right? And will help brands set those up. Again, it depends on the complexity of business, right? Many businesses may be small and rapidly scaling, in which case they're fairly flexible with their architecture. Some brands we work with are quite large, they might be, you know, international, right, and have very entrenched and established processes whereby we have to help them marry Amazon data to an existing process. Sometimes we might get lucky, right? They might be, for example, Nick, like big Amazon sellers in other regions, right? Like UK, EU, they're coming to the US. They already have some some experience with this and it's just sort of, you know, helping them get a handle on, for example, like US transactional data versus like what happens in Germany. Um, so, th so there's those components of tying it back to the ERP and the inventory management system. And look, it's usually a little bit of a learning curve with, with getting that to go. But the, the good news for most brands is that between integrations that are out these, these days that integrate with pretty much any ERP or financial system there um, and inventory management software, that these are very easy things to facilitate. Right. Like we can help most brands handle this and it's usually not too difficult. It takes a little bit of considered thinking up front, a little bit of planning, but, you know, it should not in any way for anybody be a deal breaker. Right. You know, or or a gating factor to making this decision. Yeah, we, it starts a little bit of education and then knowing what questions to ask these brands to say, how do you handle this? What system of records are you using? OK, here are the options, either, uh, you know, something that ties into a system they're already using or putting something else in place. Fortunately, there are a lot of, you know, decent tools out there that accomplish a lot of this, just whether it's, you know, inventory reconciliation and recognition or accounting, you know, and cash flow reconciliation, right? You know, those are, you know, we're not trying to reinvent tools that exist that are purpose-built for, for handling those types of, uh, of things for, for that, um, whatever their requirements are. 
you know, there's helping brands understand this from a sales and marketing standpoint, right? Like I spent a certain amount of ad dollars. I got ad sales, right? And then there's going down to the nitty gritty transactional level stuff, right? Which is like, how does Amazon timestamp a transaction, right? Collected in Greenwich meantime, corrected to Pacific, then reported to, you know, Amazon Seller Central reports. You got to pull that out and, and a brand might get all wrapped around the axle because they lost 500 transactions. You're like, no, you said they happened on Monday. They actually happened on Tuesday, right? Yeah. Like the little stuff you go down, you go into those things, like you help brands to, to, to figure out. But again, these are like, you know, sort of table stakes for making this change and this day and age with, you know, the integrations that are out there, usually pretty easy to, to get a handle on. Yeah, And we coach, we, we also, you know, I think the last component of this is just coaching brands through how Amazon reconciles all these things, right? Like the two week settlement and payout cycle of time, how they correct for returns, right? A lot of brands have trouble accounting for these things. Cause for example, like, right, like Amazon's cash impact of returns hit your settlement statement when they happen, not in respect to an order, right? So everybody looks at January and goes, oh my God, my returns are crazy relative to December, right? Whereas sometimes we need to help brands look at this on an order corrected basis where we say, look, your returning rate actually didn't change all that much from a cash basis. You're just seeing overflow from the fact that Amazon allows a 30-day return window, right, on an order, right? So those, those returns can lag quite a bit sometimes. But Amazon is changing some of those policies, right? We, we see on the horizon that hopefully some of the some of the return policies that have been so liberal in the past are going to be tightened up to help protect brands. Um, but again, this is just just part of that coaching component in, in terms of understanding everything. And, th and then I think the other thing you mentioned was there's all those little hidden fees that you that you don't right. always expect right. as a brand, which is like service administration fees and refund administration fees. Right. So again, just an exercise we go through in terms of a PL, right? We build it out to help to help a channel under uh, sorry, a brand understand what the channel impacts are gonna be. Yeah. Well, you wanna hear my approach with yep. this? Let's hear it. People ask me. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm always thinking higher, higher channeled, right? Higher channels. <laughs> creative, creative is the word uh, outside the box. Uh, so first of all, you're right. I mean, we live in 21st century. Everything is integrated. There are many uh, applications out there. It's easy, except respectfully, as you know, with Amazon, nothing is easy. Correct. And, and the devil is in the details. So there is no such plug and play operation that you can have, number one, with Amazon. There's all these different scenarios, things individual, number one. Number two, with the letters ERP, when those letters exist in an operation, nothing is cheap to touch <laughs> that ERP system. You need to hire the systems integrators. You need to get uh, uh, that, an integrator, uh, pay the fee for integration, blah, blah, blah. So, so it becomes a scary proposition. And then, you know, another thing happens, guys. I'm sure you see this all day long. The IT guys, they push back big time because now you've got a whole new thing. And so, uh, and then... Once that's done, then you got the training of the people for the new way of doing. So, so it does come with some things to consider. So my position is this. I say, look, how would you like it if somebody came along and said, you know what, just like you're selling to Amazon, sell it to me. I'll be your seller central operation. Mm -hmm. In other words, create a virtual company Treat it like a customer, except it's you. And then forget the ERP, forget everything else. On your ERP system, treat it like a customer, but then set up an outside your ERP system, just like a, a, an independent company, a separate accounting system, which can run on a $10 a month accounting system, which comes, by the way, with integrations. Yep. And little integration tools and that way you can get up and running right away and then all you do is you accumulate and you produce a PL and balance sheet just for your seller central operation without making things complicated at the click of a button anytime 
It only gets updated every other week when the settlement report comes out. But who cares? You're not going to report every day anyway. And then at the end of the year, you can invoice this company the profits. So that way you have the, the best of both worlds. So this way, there's no integration, no nothing, just a bit of a mindset shift that we're not asking anybody to set up a brand new company. It's a virtual company. And which, by the way, at the end of the year, you may decide, you know what? I'm going to keep this as a separate company and treat it as a customer on my books. So this way, you, there is no ERP integration fees. There's no extensive training of this, that, the other, the customization and, and blah, blah. Just ship the cargo to FBA shipments. And then that means that for every FBA shipment, you're building the sister company, or we call it the, the, the uh, Amazon Co. And Amazon Co. makes the sale. So that's yeah. my approach. And, and like, guys, look, in our, in our experience, Nick, I mean, the, the twist I'd put on that that, I, that I'd caution listeners about is that we've seen that work for Amazon exclusive brands, right? Like manufacturer that shows up, stands up a brand for the exclusive purposes of Amazon. But there are, there are a fair amount of holes to be poked in that in the form of like brands that are established and selling across channels. How about product liability? Right. Like you're, you're a brand that sells on Amazon. You got to carry general liability. That's a requirement for Amazon these days, right? To protect customers. And so, you know, you've got another entity you have to insure. You have another entity you have to worry about from a compliance standpoint. No, no, there is no, there is no separate entity. It's the same company. This is a virtual company. It's just oh, I know. But remember, seller accounts have things like, you know, bank account requirements. You have, you have all kinds of things that you, you might be solving one problem, but you're still going to have to solve it. And Nick, I think, I think what we, you know, what we would stress is, right, like, look at each case and say, like, you know, if there are too many hurdles, we've never found the ERP integration with respect to inventory accounting to be a big hurdle. It's just something that has to be handled. We have to ask the right questions and then, and then get it set up. What we've actually seen as a bigger challenge or hurdle with some of these brands is they're trying to solve problems that aren't important, right? They have these outdated reporting uh, reports, yes. these very large Excel files with a thousand macros in them. We say, look, like what matters is that we get selling. You start building up some, some IP value inside your seller account that you own and we'll solve these problems and we'll tackle them uh, you know, in, in order of priority, right? There are some things that are blockers that have to be dealt with in the beginning. And then there are other things that are you know, less critical that, that are not blockers from getting selling and we, and we handle those. But that's never been... It can be challenging at times, but you know there are enough. What we say is only integrate where you need to, right? Where it's critical, and there are enough tools that plug in that are reliable enough that this never is a huge problem. It's just something where we have to, you know, ask the right questions and 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 set it up and validate that it's working, and then and then most importantly is get selling, right? Start scaling up and focus on on driving sales. Yeah, yeah like like opportunity side drives the bus, right? You say to most brands. Like you're, you're absolutely right. Like all those costs add up for integrators and things like that. Right. But you say to most brands, if you say, look, we could take your one P business to three P and go from five to $25 million. Nobody bats an eye at $25,000 integration. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Like, and you go like, that's, that's no problem. So we just try to right size the solution to the opportunity. Yeah. Which means that people need you. So tell us how can people reach you? Yeah, so uh, they can reach us through uh, Andrew or Matt at channeled, C-H-A-N-N-E-L-E-D.net or on our website, channeled.net. Um, probably the best way to reach out. Uh, we offer free audits to uh, new customers, which is really kind of the best way of us kind of proving, in, in, you know, following on this conversation, we get into an account and we, and we sort of outline, usually it's a several page document that says, look, here are the things that we're seeing as opportunities. And then we're able to prove to a potential new customer what we're able to do. We're not just talking about it, but we're showing with some real examples of, of things that we're observing within the account and then talking about what relationships look like after that. Great, great. So um, this, this is one of those intense episodes. I think mm -hmm. we've covered a lot. And anybody who's thinking about switching, this is the place to go, channel.net. Uh, but anybody who is selling directly to Amazon, start thinking because it's not in your best interest 
and in the best interest of your brand equity that you're building, which is really what you're working for at the end of the day. Uh, profits come and go, but your brand value stays. So uh, go sell directly to consumers and join the, the crowd that's doing that already and, and go to channel.net to figure out how to do it. So uh, thank you, guys. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Thanks. Before we wrap up, don't forget to visit www.getida.com forward slash legends to learn more and sign up to claim money for your lost or damaged inventory with Amazon. Your first $400 in reimbursements will be free. www.getida.com forward slash legends and that's www.getida.com forward slash legends. Thank you. And this brings us to the end of another episode, and I'll see you in the next one. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the episode, and share it with someone you think would benefit from it too.